don't know if he, he didn't say anything. I don't know if he wants me to say anything, but I will anyways. That first song, uh, Pastor Chad wrote that, and he's recently written um, uh, you know, a handful of worship songs and uh, just something that we want to implement here into the life of our church. And personally, I think it's special. I, I, I think the most special songs are ones uh, founded in the Psalms or, or old hymns that have stood the test of time. They're not light and fluffy. They're theologically weighty. And uh, especially when you can get that from within the local context of our, our church. And I just think that's special, and I just, I'm thankful for that work that he's done. And so, yeah, amen. So um, we're going to read, read the Word of God now. In Matthew 10, verse 26, Jesus says this, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. I was speaking with my dad the other day at work. And um, just uh, I've gained a little more responsibility over the last couple few years. And just sometimes it's, I mean, it's new to me. It's more pressure than I'm used to. And so I have to adapt to it and grow. And, and I'm just an anxious person in general, I confess. Um, a lot of things weigh on me and bother me. And so I get stomach ulcers and, and you know, I worry about things. And um, I was just, my dad was sitting in my office and we were talking. And he was just recalling back, uh, you know, when he was a little younger and, uh, he was uh, managing some field crews out on like the Mississippi River, and he said he would wake up and just throw up every morning. He was so just worked up and nervous, and how he was going to manage all these people and all this equipment and all this different stuff and these contracts and whatnot. And he said he was talking with his boss at the time, and his boss, he said, just do your job. And when my dad said that to me, and 
it doesn't necessarily take away all the pressure and the stress, but whenever I start to feel that pressure, I wrote it up on my whiteboard in my office. It just says, just do your job, dot, dot, dot. And so I just think to myself, all I can do is what I've been given to do. And I can't do any more, and I just need to do that wholeheartedly. So I wanted, me and Rebecca, uh, we, we started reading First Samuel together at night, and it's been a special time. Um, and so just something that I read the other night, it just struck me as a, a somewhat fair parallel to this passage that I had the opportunity to preach today. And so in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, Sam- Samuel had been given you know, to service to the Lord, and he was serving under Eli, and uh, Eli his sons were completely unfaithful to the office of the priest. Uh, it says that they were uh, basically taxing sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, they were skimming meat for themselves off of it uh, with disregard for the Lord and what, what the sacrifice was, um, completely irreverent. They were doing um, immoral things with uh, women at the, at the door of the temple. And so God pronounces judgment on them. says, both of your sons are going to die on the same day. And so uh, fast forward a little bit, Samuel, you've probably heard, you know, the story where where God's calling him in the night and he wakes up and he goes to Eli and he's like, hey, here I am. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. And and he does that three times. And at the last time, Eli says, hey, the Lord's trying to talk to you. Go back. And when when he calls, say, hey, uh, I'm listening. Your servant's here. And so God gives Samuel uh, basically a a, a message of judgment on Eli's house and, and Israel as a whole. And so... Um, it's a weighty thing that he has to say, but the Lord gave it to him, and he, and, he, and he gave it to him so that he could proclaim it. And it says this in verse 15. It says, Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. And I just think it's a powerful um, parallel to what we've been walking through in Matthew chapter 10 as Jesus sends out his apostles to the Jews to proclaim the kingdom of God, that it's at hand. Repent. Believe in the gospel and be saved. And um, so let's remember the context. Uh, Jesus is sending his apostles out into a hostile environment. Uh, these are the same Jews that called Jesus uh, a, um, a blasphemer. Uh, these are the same Jews that are going to put Jesus on the cross, ultimately. Um, th- so, so Jesus is sending his apostles out with a message that goes against, it butts heads with the people that it's going to save the Spirit of God, transform their hearts to receive it. And so they're, they're not going out door to door and selling Tupperware. They're going out offering a message of hope and of life, but one that is offensive to the world because it, 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 it is completely um, antithetical to it. It, it. it is opposite to it. And so um, he tells them, persecution is going to come. You're going to suffer. You're going to face hardship. People are going to slander you. People are going to beat you. You may even die. And so how is it then 
now that we're in our passage, Jesus can say, so have no fear of them. I want to say that as you just go and do your job, do it with awe. Do it with a sense of awe. And here's the definition for awe. An emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority or by the sacred. And so as you go and you fulfill this task that you've been given, now in our, our current context, right? Yes, Jesus is sending out his apostles, but surely this applies to us to live as Christians, to proclaim the Christian message. As you go out and do that in the midst of a hostile environment and a hostile world, you do it with a sense of awe. And don't fear them. Don't fear them because nothing, nothing that is hidden will not come to, to be revealed. Nothing that is in the dark will not come to light. Like this, the gospel is a sure thing. It's not a hypothetical. Uh, God's salvation is a sure thing for his people. Pastor Chad read the message this morning. Jesus, Jesus has come to receive all that the Father gives to him, and he will surely raise them up on the last day. He loses none of them. So as you go out and you proclaim this message, and this fear creeps in, oh, what, if, what if I'm slandered? What if I'm killed? What, what if something happens to my family? Don't fear that. Don't worry about that. Because the gospel is a sure thing. Your work, your service to God is not in vain. So though you might suffer loss, the, the, the gain, the reward is far greater. The gospel is going to accomplish something. So when you go out and you preach the word, hey, repent, repent, seek forgiveness of your sins, Jesus will receive you. You can rest assured that you are not out there speaking to the wall. Your work is not for nothing. Because the gospel will invade the darkness. The light will shine. Think about the promise to Abraham. Uh, go, back, go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, the promise given to, to the woman. You see he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Sure thing. And then the promise given to Abraham, what, what did he say? Your, your descendants by faith are going to be as numerous as the sand, as, as the stars in heaven. And so when, when you go out working, at, remember that you're accomplishing something that is magnificent. It's great. You're gathering in the household of God and the number of it is going to be innumerable. You can't count them. And so you're taking part in a work that is just, it's bigger and more, more grand than you can understand or comprehend. And so while, you know, when you wake up on Monday morning and it's just another part of the grind, you're going to live the Christian life and you're going to face opposition for that from all sorts of directions and angles, you just remember that God is gathering into himself a people that outnumbers the stars. And that's a, wonderful, that's a wonderful thing for me to, to look at because I, I, it, it, me and Richard were talking about some eschatological things the other night, the, just the, the end times and how that's going to happen. And um, a, a lot of it is pretty pessimistic, right? Things are going to get bad and nobody trusts in the Lord. Nobody believes in Jesus anymore. Everybody's turned away. All this, and so it gives you this, this view that is like, man, what, what am I even doing then, right? 
Like, why, why should I even go out and work? Nobody believes. Nobody's coming. But that's only what I can see in my current little bitty shell of a context that I live in. Go back to the Word of God and remember that He's calling a people to Himself from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and they're going to outnumber the sand on the sea. Have a sense of awe that brings about dread, uh, that brings about a healthy fear, a reverence of God. Because if you allow your reverence or fear or the, your scared level of man supersede that of your level for God, you've twisted it. You've gotten things out of focus. You need to realign your mind. You need to realign your heart. Because what does he say? He says, don't fear man who, yes, can kill your body. So the possibility is there. You may lose your life for the sake of the gospel. This morning in, in Africa and in the Middle East and in China and all over the world, we live in a, a very strange context, I think, in, in history, uh, a fairly safe space to be a Christian. And, and it's a blessing, um, I believe. Um, but if you just open up any news page and dig a little bit and you're going to find someone has just been martyred for the sake of the gospel, all over the world, right now, today, right now, this morning, somebody is probably being beheaded for their love of Christ. And you know what they said? I don't fear you, man. I fear my God. Because if I deny him right now, he's going to destroy both my body, which you're going to destroy, and my soul in hell. I don't think we think about hell enough. Um... I did a quick word search. I'd heard it before, and I was going to say it, and I was like, you know what? Let me go fact check myself. So I did a word search on the word hell. It's Ghana. Um, it, it's the Valley of Hinnom. It's where they threw all the, the trash and the, the, the nasty stuff. It was just a disgusting place. Um, and they paralleled it to the eternal damnation that you would receive, uh, and you would be cut off from God. And so I looked up the word Ghana, and by itself, not, not, not coupled with hellfire or anything like that, just hell, it occurs 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those 12 times, Jesus says it. Once, James says it. Jesus speaks about hell more than anyone in the New Testament. And, and, and I think modern-day evangelicalism wants to say that, oh, Jesus is, Jesus is love. Jesus would never do that to you. He just come as you are. Just come, don't worry about that. Jesus took hell seriously. Hey, fear God who can destroy you in hell. Don't fear man. He can only kill your body. Fear God who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell forever. I can't comprehend the forever aspect of that. Uh, I, I think of it way more in, in the light of being in the presence of God in heaven with Him. Um, and, and I try to comprehend how joyful that's going to be and how wonderful that's going to be, and, and should, but I don't think I contemplate how awful hell is and how it goes on forever and ever and ever 
never, never. And that would, that would, I think, drive me to, one, guard my own heart, test my own self to make sure I am in the Lord, but it would also cause me to look out on a people that I walk around every single day of my life and say, you're going to die in hell. You're going to perish. God is going to punish you for your sin. This is not a game. But I, I, don't, I don't believe that, obviously, because I don't do that enough. Don't fear man. Have a sense of awe about you, that you look on God and you fear him above all. Think about the sparrows who are sold for a penny. Not one of them falls to the ground without God taking notice and God caring. God cares for you, Christian. Um, the, the most minute details of your life are not insignificant. If, if a bird, <laughs> growing up in Louisiana, I don't know if y'all are calling that here, but like everybody knows what a dove is. Right? Everybody knows what a robin is. Everybody knows what a blue jay is. But there were these little, it wasn't a black bird, but it was something else. We called them chi-chi birds. And we would just shoot them with pellet guns just for fun. It's not good, but they were chi-chi birds. They were insignificant. It didn't matter. I wouldn't do that to a dove unless I was going to eat it. That's good eating, right? But it's a chi-chi bird. Not one of those chi-chi birds fell without God taking notice and caring. I don't think a butterfly dies and dries up on the concrete without God caring and taking notice. How much more does he take notice of you and your life, the sufferings that you endure, especially for his sake? He's, he, he's not apathetic towards those things. He cares. He loves you. He's concerned about every single detail of your life. So when you get slandered at school because you believe in Jesus, you go to God. You don't look for comfort by changing your opinion or changing your mindset or your worldview or what you talk about. When you get persecuted, you run to God because He cares for you. Do your job with all. Also, do your job with allegiance. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Um, I read the NASB, the NASB, this is the ESV. Um, and the Nasby says, confesses. Whoever confesses me before men. And um, whenever I got to preach the other week um, in Romans 10, we talked about confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, right? And so it, it, it's, not, it's not a mere lip service. Yes, it does involve you proclaiming with your lips and with your tongue that Jesus is Lord. You confess Christ is King. But, it, but it, it's, it's shown, uh, it, the genuineness of it is shown in your hands, in your, in your life, in the, in the decisions that you make, in the conversations that you have, um, in the deepest part of your heart that no one else sees or knows. You're confessing Christ. So, Sierra, when you go to school and your friend's like, hey, I know we didn't study that hard for this. I got the answers. Uh, you want these? 
You say no. That's dishonest. That doesn't honor my God. And you confess Christ with your action. You might take an F on the test, but God says, well done. Yeah, you should have studied. <laughs> but you were truthful. You didn't put sin on top of sin. And, and, and you demonstrated to your friend, like, hey, you know what? I messed up. I should have studied. We should have studied together. But I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to allow you to give me the answers. I'm going to confess Christ because that's what he would love. That's what he wants from me. You know? And take great comfort that when you confess Christ, he confesses you before the Father. Huh? When, when, you say, when you say, I'm going to stand with Jesus in this decision, when you say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner, I, I, I've fallen, I, I am not worthy in and of myself, I am a wretch, I am deserving of being punished in Ghana. But I need you. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For you are the only one worthy to take the sin of the world. The only spotless lamb. Jesus says, hey, Father, he's mine. that's me. He's mine. And no one can take that from you. In, in, in John, in John he, he, he says, uh, I and my Father are one in the sense of salvation. They have the same aim in saving a people. And he says, I, I, I hold you in my hand, and my Father holds you in, in his hand. And so nothing can separate you from that when you confess Christ. Nothing. He will confess you before God. And he says, this is what you see. Jesus is standing here before the Father in his perfect resurrected body. He paid for sin on the cross. He atoned for it. And he says, this is, this is Chase right here. My righteousness. It's him. This is Richard. This is Dave. That confession is more than just a, hey, he's mine. He's confessing it with everything that he accomplished in his life. He was born and he lived a sinless life, perfect, fulfilled the law 100%, never failed in a, in a comma of it. And he presented it up on a cross and he bled and died. And he bore the wrath of his father for you. If you would just confess, you'll be saved. But if you don't, if you don't confess Christ before men, he's not going to confess you before the father. Who, um, whose side are you on? I pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you have to pick a side. There's no neutrality here. None. It's Christ or death. That's it. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own house. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
I thought she said, honor your father and mother, right? First commandment with promise. Jesus is not saying to go and make enemies amongst the people of your house. He's not saying that's going to be the universal truth here. What he's saying is, is when those things that are hidden become revealed, when those things that are not known are known, when that light shines into the darkness, there's, there's no more confusion on what side you're on. It becomes obvious. It becomes obvious who you're serving, who is your master. When the truth and the light of the gospel shines into your household, my dad might be on that side. And it, it's obvious now. There's no, there's no excuse. The truth has been given in full. And it's sufficient to tell me whether he's on that side or this side. And it, 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 it so reveals, it, it just magnifies the separation that might have been there before, we just didn't know it, right? If you, if you have a home, maybe nominal Christians, maybe they're lost. Maybe, I, I don't know, you just don't, but they're, they're all living, you know, in harmony pretty much. But you get saved and you taste Jesus and you know him and you're following after him. You're ready to go to the cross, those differences, the, the, the lines become sharper. There's no more fuzz. The focus is in, and you know, oh, wait. And so then those things that you now must take a stand for, I'm not going to watch those things in my home. Hey, Dad, you think we, we should really be watching that? That's pretty filthy. Hey, Dad, why do you speak to Mom like that? You don't. You're not honoring her. That, that's not how Jesus loves his church, Dad. Hey, son, why do, you, why do you dishonor me like that among your friends? Why do you act that way? That's, that's where it starts to come in. Then, then that dad and that son, if, if there's not repentance on both sides, but if, if there's not repentance where the fault was, there you go. You have enemies in the same house. And even if they're living in a, in, a, in a fake shell of harmony with a Christian and a non-Christian in a house, they're still truly enemies. Because you're not fighting on the same side of the battle that I'm on. You're not fighting for true truth. You're not fighting for justice. You don't know true peace. You don't have hope. You're not going and doing your all to let the light be shown in those dark places. So you're not on the same team as me. Th this passage is, is from uh, Micah, and um, it, it's basically just saying, hey, things in Israel are going to get really bad, really bad, and, and, and so bad that these are the things that are going to happen. You can't trust your friend. You can't trust the people of your own house. They're your enemies. Because the, the, the truth of God's word would so be revealed and explained and taught that, again, there's no longer any excuse. Pick a side. Do your job with allegiance. When you go to work and you fill in your timesheet at the end of the day, if you worked eight hours, put eight. If you didn't, don't put eight. Make it up. Are you some vacation? 
we, we work with a lot of software and some of these companies have software where they just give you a little text file and you put it on the computer and the software works. Hmm. I guess I can make a copy of that thing on every single machine that I have in my office. Oh, hold, wait, hold on. Uh, we only paid for one seat. Ah, it's, that's fine. I mean, they should have known better, right? I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't honor my God. I'm not going to do that. My allegiance is with Jesus. Like that baker who's not going to bake the cake for some twisted, distorted ball of sin and nastiness, but he's going to stand with Christ. He's doing his job with allegiance. When you're, when you're, when you're persecuted, when, you're, when your friends don't want to hang out with you anymore because you don't want to do all that stuff they want to do, Paul says, it's, it's nothing but dumb. I'm looking to Christ. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Don't live for Chase. Don't live for Haley. Don't live for whatever you think is good, whatever you think is right, whatever pleases you at the time, whatever feels good, whatever is going to get you the most gain. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow in the way that Jesus has clearly laid out for us. We've spent two years now in the Gospel of Matthew. We're about a little less than halfway done. Hold on. It's, it's clear, it's plain how you should live your life. Your flesh doesn't want that. Your flesh doesn't want There's more to be had out here doing this stuff, taking advantage of people, cheating, getting drunk, having a good time. Lose your life now so you can truly find your life. If you think you found it all, you're living your best life now, again, awaits for you. It waits for you. So again, allegiance to Christ or allegiance to the world. The choice is yours. Christ is calling you today to repent of your sin and pledge allegiance to Him and follow Him, even if it means taking up the cross. Do your job with assurance. Whoever receives you receives me. Back to the, the, the surety of the work of the gospel. You're not out there banging on empty rooms, knocking on hollow doors. You're doing the work that God has given you. So despite what you can see, just know that whenever you go out and someone does receive Christ, he does just that. He receives Christ. If you put yourself out there, even in the face of danger, 
I've never been anywhere that hostile. We went to India and it was strange and there were stories of different things going on, but I never once, I probably feared my life going flying over the ocean more than I did while I was over there, honestly. Um, it was, you, there was darkness there, you could feel it. It, 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 was, it was weird. But here's why I went. Even though the wings of that Boeing clipped off, even though we would have got over there and the Indian government would have been like, oh, Christians, coming to proselytize our people, kill them. I went in hopes that someone would receive me and thereby receive Jesus and receive the one who sent Jesus and have hope and have life and have peace and be able to go in the midst of these thousands and thousands and thousands of temples and idols and just darkness and hopelessness and say, hey, I got it. I got it. I got the light. Come see. Check it out. Receive me. I'm, I'm all the way back over here in the States. It's like passing the torch. It's like eh, when, when we have candlelight services for Christmas and we light one candle. And then I go and I light yours, and you light his, and we light it. And it's it multiplies and it expands. And those people are receiving Jesus, not just a, a doctrine. They're receiving the person, Jesus, life. The one who receives a prophet. Because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. A righteous person, because he's a righteous person, a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple. As a disciple, pay attention to how you're treating other disciples. As you go out and you're following Jesus, you're shining the light in the darkness, and Maybe it's somebody you don't even know. A disciple comes along and you know he's a disciple. Make sure you give him a cup of water. Make sure you treat him with dignity, with respect, with love. As a person who is your brother or sister in Jesus. Because he says, truly, you will receive your reward. Your work and service are not in vain. So, again, on the day-to-day -day grind, oh, it seems so monotonous. Sometimes. Maybe for you it doesn't. For me, though, I get up, and I'm blessed. I have a family. I have a home. I have food in my pantry. I have a job to go to. I, I come back home to my family. I get to spend time with them. I have a church to come to and worship with you all. I, I, I don't want to take that for granted, and, and, and I don't want to lose sight of really what is doing my job. All, all of those things are aspects of my job. And for you, it may look a little differently than me. But the ultimate goal is to follow Jesus and to make much of Him, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, as the Catechism would put it. So just know that whether it's Pastor Chad went to seminary, put in a lot of time, Richard went to seminary, put in a lot of time to study, and, and to labor and, and, and to work over knowing 
the Bible and, and then on a day in and day out basis, I know he's praying for you. He's serving you week in and week out. All these different things. A prophet. He's bringing the truth. He's preaching. He's proclaiming the word. Receive him and you'll receive a prophet's reward. He has much to offer. He's feeding you. He's feeding you. So, even the janitor, receive him, because he too is working for the Lord. He doesn't have the stage. He doesn't have his name on the covers of books. He doesn't write a blog every week. He's not up on these big panels for these big conferences. He's just sweeping. Sweeping. Receive that person. Give them something to drink. Bless them with a gift. And you have your reward. But the ultimate reward is Jesus. So receive Him with assurance. So just do your job, as my dad would say. And leave the rest to God. In the face of losing your best friend or losing your brother or your parents because you no longer agree with their worldview, their mindset, your lifestyle is not congruent with theirs. In the face of losing your life potentially for the sake of the gospel, just do your job. Leave all those details up to God. In Samuel, after it said that he was, he was worked up and um, he, he, he was afraid to tell the vision to Eli because it was one of judgment. It was very similar to the one that we have. He says, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fall to the ground. So don't drop off anything that God has said in His Word out of fear of man. In Micah, after Jesus quotes that passage that people of the same household are going to be enemies, it follows up with this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, over my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. In the face of persecution, in the face of the darkest days, in the face of the worst situation that you can possibly imagine, if you're serving the Lord, you're doing your job, leave the rest up to Him. Hold on to those words. As for me, God is my salvation. He'll hear me. If I fall, I'll rise. If I'm sitting in darkness, I'll, I'll find the light. Because I trust God. I trust that He cares for me. And I trust that He's working all things out for His glory, for His pleasure, for my goodness. And though I may suffer now, I'm going to live with Him forever in comfort and joy.
So I just exhort you this morning, just trust in the Lord. Just trust in Him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as You've given us a work, You've sent us out in the midst of wolves. You've sent us out to proclaim a message um, that is um, the most uh, offensive message that there is because it says you're not good enough. You're worthy of hell. Repent. And we face a lot of opposition from it. Um, individuals, uh, governments, nations, Lord, come together to war against your message. But we know, Lord, and we look on with awe that your message, your gospel will not be snuffed out. The light will not be put out, Lord. You will shine over the whole earth and you will save your people. And that's a sure thing. And so, Lord, give us a great courage. Give us a great boldness. Give us a great uh, sense of just reverence for you, Lord, as we live our day-to-day -day lives Many of us, just simple ones. We're just simple people, Lord. Help us to do it with excellence. Help us to do it with conviction, not wavering in the least. Help us, Lord. Give us power of your spirit, please. Empower us. Give us words to say. When we face opposition, Lord, give us just faith to endure the hardship, to endure the persecution, to endure whatever it is that your hand has brought and just to trust you, Lord, that you're good and you see us and you know us and you are our salvation and we have our reward, Lord. We have our reward and it's you. May we not look to, to be satisfied in anything but you, Lord Jesus. There is nothing so sweet. There is nothing so pleasurable. There is nothing so satisfying as you. Make me believe that, Lord. Make our church believe that. And just let that just show to be true in our lives when we go out into our workplace, when we go out into the coffee shop, when we go out into the diner, when we go out to our schools, Lord. We just make you known without fear of man, but out of reverence for you. We love you, Lord Jesus. This is your day. Be honored. Be glorified. Be magnified, Lord Jesus. Amen.